Well, good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just on 7.30. Unfortunately, uh, the station is having some um, technical issues, with, uh, which is why you haven't been able to hear our pre-recorded programs that, that uh, precede the gardening show and we can't play our theme. So I'm very sorry, but we are actually here. The gardening show is here, ready for another Sunday morning. My name is Pam Vardy. First up, I have to say a very good morning to, uh, because it's the second Sunday in the month, to Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm. Good, good morning, mo- Good Graham. morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody out there in listening land. I hope you're all still tucked up in bed listening to us. <laughs> that way you can stay still and you don't have to move around the house and you can still hear what's going on, which is really good. Do you know it was actually dark when I left home? Isn't it disgusting this day? It's like happened saving? already. Yes. But, Never mind. Uh, Never mind, I was feeding the chooks in the dark before I come. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I must say we've been very lucky this summer. We yes. really have. We've, we've managed to have, even though we've had, a, you know, a few hot days, mm. we have managed to have rain as well. And, you know, a sprinkling of rain this morning. I hope there's more to come. Well, be, being a country bod, it's really good to see the dams full. It really is. Yep, it's absolutely. Fantastic. You know, that will get us ready for the next drought. So has it been very dry up your way, Graham? It's been off and on. Yes. But um, we've, we've had good, uh, good sprinkling rain, you know, just through, through the summer so far. But it has been pretty hot. Okay. Mm. And our challenge is keeping the water up to the plants. Oh, yes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But we're lucky. We're, we're on a reticulated water main, so okay. that's really helpful. Yep. Yeah. We have to say good morning to A.B. Bishop. Morning, A.B. Oh, good morning. And it was a bit of a um, schmozzle getting in, I have to say. As I mentioned, I was um, busy trying to help a stray dog on the way in, which had either been dumped or um, was completely lost and disoriented and refused to get in the car, but then followed the car as I drove mm. off. And then I tried to get it in again. So it was, um, yeah, a bit, bit of a schmozzle. And I'll hopefully it'll be there on the way back and I'll um, reassess it then. But, uh, yeah. It's so what, just, it's still wandering live? It's still wandering. I rang the pound and, and they were pretty unhelpful and then I just rang the local vet and left a message to, just in case someone had um, missed it. But, um, yeah, golden retriever, gorgeous, beautiful dog, um, very, you know, very um, safe and friendly but was just, yeah, not going to get in the car. So Okay. But, yeah, see, I'm just wondering with Graeme, you feeding your chooks before you left, were, hmm. were they awake, were they? Oh, yeah. Oh, because yeah. my... my... Oh, you, you got to have chickens, mate. They're, they're shakers and movers, those oh, chickens. Oh, no, my, my two <laughs> girls... Well, actually, I found out this week that my two girls are one percenters. So I've got Spotty and Dotty, and they're 11 years old, and I had to take Spotty to the vet this week and found out that they are the oldest chickens in the 1% of oldest chickens, backyard chooks in Australia. So I'm pretty excited about that. Does that mean they're not laying? (laughs) No, they haven't been laying. Well, they've been laying sporadically for a couple of years. They sort of produce one, you know, every three months or something. Um, But they're they're our pets now. Okay. And and how old are they? They're 11. 11? Yeah. Mate. Yeah, sisters. And and what what breed are they? They're silver wine dotes. Are they really? Yeah, and they're both multi at the moment, which is hysterical because I mean, of course, you know, when chickens molt, they usually you know take two three weeks, but these girls have been going for two months and they're just Mm. looking really scraggly, and because they're old, they're getting a bit wobbly, and it's oh dear, they're quite adorable though. (laughs) Okay, they slow down when they're molting, and and you sort of look and you think, oh, you're not happy, are you? Yeah, well, that's why I took Spotty to the vet because Mm. I was like, "Mm, something's 
something's not wrong here. She's wobbling a little bit too mm. much, but mm. they just gave her some vitamin shots and, mm. um, you know, and a few hundred dollars later they were back <laughs> back at home. Well, I'm glad you're it's both talking cheap. chickens because um, a little later in the program I'm actually going to be talking about um, a new book that's just been released Ooh. and it's called Backyard Chickens, oh, How lovely. to Keep Happy Hens. Oh, so, I, I'm buying it. <laughs> So we will talk about that a bit later, but first we have to say a very good morning to Evan Golke from Oka Landscapes. Good morning, Evan. Good morning. How is everybody? Oh, I, happy I, with the rain. Well, I can't, I can't believe I feel a bit slack, actually. I just got out of bed and drove here. I didn't chase dogs. Didn't, <laughs> didn't do anything with chickens. chickens. Yeah. <laughs> didn't go out What's and pet them. What's wrong with Evan? <laughs> so I'm feeling a bit slack, yeah. really. But it was, uh, it was a beautiful morning. I didn't want to get out of bed, drizzling away. Oh, yes. That's, that's just lovely. Everyone else in our house normally go for a bike ride early um, with the uh, HPV group that, that is with our school. But, uh, of course, Sonia said, oh, it's raining. Oh, I won't go today. Oh, no. Uh, so everyone's sleeping in at our place. <laughs> Except you. <laughs> Except me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Now, you, you mentioned before we came on air that uh, you're busy. That's a good thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely flat out. Have been for a couple of years now. It seems to be unrelenting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mostly doing schools, Schools. education, work. Yeah. And Um, you're you're still enjoying doing schools? Oh, I love it. It's a whole different discipline, isn't it, in many ways? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's like doing – it's it's broad scale. So you're doing doing parks, really. You're doing things for, for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Right. You know, that's the difference yep. between doing residential places that, that might end up with an extension on them. I mean, obviously, schools change as well. So you have time. to do a really good job then. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> you know, plant and run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. You do. You have to be really careful with what you select and so on. So, um, And you, do, you are doing it for the long term. Yeah, so. I guess from the point of view of being able to see um, what plants do well together, you know, from a design perspective, I, I think... It, probably is quite rewarding. Yeah, it's it's not only that. I mean, there's the robustness that's really important as well and how you place them, where you put yep. them and uh, uh, how much material you put in that, that's small. Um, you know, things... I don't tend to plant a lot of stuff that's under knee high, ultimately under knee high, because they, just, it don't, you know, they don't last. You go to a school... 10 years down the track and most of the stuff's not there. Mm. The, the trees are there. Yeah, too many so that, footies landed on it. Yeah, that's right. So that's just a whole different ball game. So ball game, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you've got to so you tend to do a lot more sort of group planting of trees, group planting of small trees. Um, things that it doesn't matter if there's nothing at ground level. And what sort of trees are you planting, Kevin? Um, lots of banksias. Banksias are really good. A lot of the uh, lot of the wattles are good, especially the suckering ones like Bormanii that that um, will sort of fill up spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, water gums, um, Tristaniopsis, and then in the larger trees, you know, it's really good to have um, things like Angophoras and uh, and that type of things. Uh, uh, some of the iron barks really good, you know, Sideroxalon, right. that's just such a great look. Cause, and, and places you can go and look for this sort of stuff is mm. some of the universities. Okay. What they've done over the years, like Monash, Monash. is just, just a Whoa. great place to go it's for insane. a walk around. I, yep. I went for a walk around La Trobe the other day as well because I'm doing a school, I'm doing a school within a school within a university. Oh. Uh, well, I haven't got the job yet. I just, actually, I'm preempting that. <laughs> there's a, there's Doesn't a, hurt to do some research. <laughs> you obviously hope you're getting it. Yeah, it is a competitive thing, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident because I've got a great idea. <laughs> but, we'll uh, wait for you, Evan. Yeah, it's good. Uh, but, uh, you know, Latrobe Uni 
it was really good to walk around. I've never been for a walk around Latrobe. But the cool thing about unis is that there's decades of architecture and landscape architecture. So there's lots of ages of, of areas within the university. So you can see how things develop over the time. One of the great things there was a, a group of um, black she-oaks mm-hmm. that were probably uh, 25 metres tall. They were huge Gosh. Uh, and, and planted in, in big groups. And and so you don't need anything under them because of course the the, the needles just sort of fill up the space yes. underneath. So you know, so you can ultimately put seating and so on in amongst it, mm. which is nice. Yeah, mm. lovely. And um, they've got a good nursery there too, don't they? I'm not sure. Do yeah, they? good native nursery. Oh, right. at yeah, the yeah. university yeah. itself. Yeah, indigenous nursery. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and, and is there many um, uh, enclosures with animals um, in them at La Trobe? At the Trobe Uni, yeah. apart from the students. At the back, yeah. I think, because they've got um, some vet science programs there, so I'm pretty sure they've got a few. Okay. And mm-hmm. I seem to recall um, sheep. Yes. And, yeah, right. and they, I they didn't do have come a few across farm it. animals. Mm. Yeah. Mind you, I, I parked my car and I went wandering off. I asked a student uh, where, where I'd get something to eat and so then I beelined toward there and then I wandered around for a little bit just looking at plants and things and then thought, where the hell's my car? <laughs> 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 and then I see a sign that says car park one to five oh, and are all in yeah. different directions. Yeah. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? You come out of the shops at the supermarket like, oh, I forgot to see what colour I was. <laughs> exactly. Actually, actually, I went to a seminar at Latrobe about three years ago and it was a, a seminar with, of all things of wheat farmers and I, mm. I parked my car and I, you know, and I wandered around the place and I actually got lost myself. Mm. It's, it's, it is. It's a huge, huge sort of... Mm. Um, place that that's hard to find, sort of find your way around. Yeah, there's sort of not direct routes through it, is there? No, yeah, no. it's just the way it's been built over the years. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. there's some really interesting architecture in there too if you yeah. like architecture from the 60s and and mm. so on. There's mm. some some interesting buildings and so on, but yeah, it, it, unis are great places to wander mm. through. Mm. And Monash as you say is amazing. Oh, it's yeah. wonderful. They they have these great lines of um iron bark, great avenues of iron barks in there. It's just stunning. And even the work that's been done in recent times around Monash in oh, Clayton the geological is really garden. Good. Yeah, that's in an interesting uni, garden. That's, that's... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> interesting thing about that. I actually wandered through there um, before it was opened, um, I, I just happened to be there and stopped to have a wander around, and uh, I didn't even know about it. And I got into it, and the landscape people were still there. So I asked them a couple of questions about it. I said, where the heck did you get these rocks from? And he said, oh, they're representing the rocks from around Victoria. the country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I said, so, but where did the, they come from? I've never seen rocks like them, you know, the shapes and so on. And he said, oh, most of them were from Mongolia. Oh, no way. Really? Mm. <laughs> so the, really? I actually thought they were from, because I know that they're well, representing... Oh. Maybe it was just the particular ones I was pointing to. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Yeah, mm. but, I mean, it really, as far as experimental gardens go, I think it was a terrific <clears throat> idea, and they've used um, fauna, suites of fauna from that represent particular areas mm. around Victoria, which is yeah. lovely to see. A um, bit of fake turf, that's not... So wonderful, but um, and there's the she oaks in there as well, mm, which yeah. yeah, yeah, and they have that area where uh, obviously the water sits, and then they've they've used fairly heavy clay. That's right, so yeah. when I went in there, it had cracked really nicely. Um, like That's a, right. They were um, trying to simulate the the um, clay pans or mm, the yeah the salt yeah, pans, clay yeah, plans, yeah, yeah, yeah of clay the western pans. plains, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it looked really good. I love that those patterns that you get in in drying clay. Yeah, it's a really Unique. nice thing. Mm. Yeah. 
Okay, well, it's time we uh, got on to some community announcements because everything, of course, is starting up again and uh, uh, everyone's getting busy, as always happens at the start of the year. First up, uh, Open Gardens Victoria. Now, they have started again for the season. They did have an opening, well, two openings, in fact, yesterday, but the openings were only for yesterday, not today. So, uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to bring you those details. But um, next weekend, uh, they have an opening in Camberwell. It's called Milford. It's at 16 Kintour Street in Camberwell. Now, this will be open both Saturday and Sunday of next weekend, 10 o'clock through to 4.30. Entry price is $8. Under 18s are free and students are $5. Now, uh, this is a garden that's intrinsically sympathetic to the home's Edwardian architecture with a perennial border and recycled brick path bordered by lawn, complementing the original house. The back garden is much more contemporary in line with the recent renovation. Now, uh, proceeds from this opening uh, will be donated to support the Parent Association at Canterbury Girls Secondary College. There'll be beverages and snacks provided uh, by Pookie May Coffee. Now, uh, as usual, our good friends at Open Gardens Victoria um, are uh, giving us uh, one double pass to give away for any listener who would like to uh, go and have a look at Milford next weekend. You can use it for either Saturday or Sunday. Now, if you'd like to phone in to Jenny now on 94190155, first person to call in will get that free double pass. Now, uh, Open Gardens Victoria, while I'm talking about them, a couple more things I should mention that they are involved with. Uh, Coming up um, on the Friday, the 24th of February, uh, they're having um, a Mornington Peninsula um, tour. Now, it's all about sculpture in the landscape. And uh, you meet at Montalto Winery at 9.30. The whole tour ends at approximately 4.30. There's limited availability, so 40 people only. Uh, ticket price is 95 for that, um, which includes guided tours and talks at each of the sites, coffee on arrival, arrival at Montalto, lunch at Merrick's store with sit-down two courses and champagne at a private sculpture park. So uh, there you go. Now, um, the day actually starts uh, at Montalto with a walk and talk with Neil Williams, who's curator, to preview the uh, Montalto Sculpture Award for 2017. Uh, then it's followed by a visit to a small residential garden in Flinders. Um, lunch, as I said, will be held at the Merrick's General Wine Store and includes a talk by noted sculptor Dean Coles, uh, and then on to visit a private sculpture park which concludes the day. Now, if you're interested in going along to that one, you do need to uh, to book online and uh, you simply go to their website. Um, if you type in Open Gardens Victoria, all one word, it will come straight up and you'll be able to uh, follow the links. Now, the other thing I have to mention in regard to Open Gardens Victoria uh, is that... Um, Unfortunately, Organic Gardener magazine have uh, wrongly advertised um, 
the opening of uh, Ganya, which, of course, is our good friend Karen Sutherland's garden. Now, uh, they have listed it on the wrong dates and they've also listed the wrong description of her garden. So uh, uh, this oops. is an advance. Yes, oops, indeed. <laughs> this is an advance notice that it definitely will be opening, uh, but it will be opening on the 4th and 5th of March. Uh, so that's 4th and 5th of March for Gunya because I know a lot of people are interested to see her garden, particularly uh, when she comes on the program and talks a lot about uh, all her edible produce. Um, her address is 22 Lochinvar Street in Pasco Vale South, uh, but I will give a lot more details closer to the time. But just do please note in your diaries, if you're interested in going to have a look at her garden, it is on, on the 4th and the 5th of March, not... Uh, the dates advertised in Organic Gardener magazine. Um, Pam, I might mention that she's going to be up at the uh, Farming Expo at Seymour. Oh, okay. Uh, in February. So she'll be there, um, I think, four days. Okay. So um, um, people can make contact with her there. Excellent. All right. Now, uh, also coming up, there's going to be um, a illustrated afternoon talk on Western Australian wildflowers with John Thompson. This is being organised by uh, the Friends of Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Um, now, it's an opportunity to enjoy an excellent presentation by the Friends' own John Thompson. John will be leading the Cranbourne Friends West Australian Wildflower Tour, which takes place in August and September. So this is a little precursor to that, but certainly if you're interested in in uh, Wildflowers of Western Australia, this will be a wonderful talk. Now, as I mentioned, it's Sunday the 19th of February. Uh, it runs from 2 till 3.30. It'll take place in the uh, auditorium down at uh, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Cost for this one, uh, if you're a member of the Friends Group, $20. If you're a non-member, $25. If you're a student, $10. If you'd like uh, more information, you can phone 8774-2483, that's 8774-2483, or um, to book, uh, you go to the uh, Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria um, website, which is www.rbg.vic.gov.au and follow the links to Cranbourne. Or you can uh, email rgelliot at optusnet.com.au. Now, also coming up on the 19th of February is the Werribee Park Heritage Orchards uh, Summer Grafting Day. Uh, this is running from 10am through to 3pm. And uh, because it's stone fruit season, this is what they'll be concentrating on with their grafting uh, now, you can, uh, there'll of course, be uh, grafted trees for purchase, but you can also uh, choose the variety of heritage fruit you'd like to grow and you can choose one of the rootstocks or one of the members will um, help you pick out uh, the appropriate rootstock and graft it for you. But uh, the, you will be shown demonstrations of how to graft, so uh, you can certainly... Uh, take some scion wood back home with you and have a go yourself. Now, on the day, there'll also be the local CWA providing food and refreshments. Um, there will be the Kareni Gardens. Uh, they'll have a store there selling their plant varieties from the kitchen garden. There'll also be local native plants and old-fashioned favourites from Werribee Park Gardens 
for sale, plus their usual uh, edible weed walks, tours of the orchard, grafting demonstrations and fruit trees for sale. So that's all happening Sunday the 19th of February, 10 through till 3pm. Just a couple more I really should mention. And uh, Upper Cloud Hill um, Gardens, uh, they're continuing their Music in the Gardens program, which they hold over the summer months. Coming up on Saturday the 25th of February, starting at 6 o'clock in the Green Theatre at Cloud Hills Garden, is a group called Evergreen Ensemble. Now, this is a group of four people, which also uh, includes our good friend Simon Rickard. And uh, this is uh, bringing you the works from 18th century Scotland. So, And each piece has been inspired by a flower or vegetable with commentary by Simon. So um, there you go. There will also be some pieces by Purcell, McGibbon and some fiery Scottish jigs and reels. I wonder if they'll get everyone up and dancing for that one. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, uh, it's high time we invited our listeners to join us. If you'd uh, like to ask a gardening question this morning, we'd love to hear from you. We do have um, Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clombenane, A.B. Bishop, who, of course, is our um, Australian native, Guru, and she's a horticulturalist and author, and of course, Evan Golke from Ochre Landscape. So, do give us a call. The number is 94190155 to speak on the team on air. But this morning, we also have Virginia on the outside line. So, if you'd like to have a chat to Virginia, 94198377. Okay, uh, firstly, AB. You've been very busy. I noted you gave two talks yesterday. You must have dashed from one place to the other. How do you know what? I don't know how you know that, so we'll talk about that later. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I find things out. Oh, it was really funny because um, Watsonia Library rang me last year and they just rang and they said, would you do a talk? I was like, yep, fantastic. And I'm pretty sure she gave me the date, which I promptly forgot. And then they didn't follow up with an email. And I was like, I know I've got to give a talk somewhere, but I just don't know where or when. In the meantime, Fernie Creek got onto me and said, oh, can you give a talk on, you know, Saturday the 11th? I was like, yep, fine. And um, and then a few days before the, um, a few days before Saturday, um, I got an email from Watsonia saying, oh, remember your talks on Saturday? I was like, oh, yes, terrific. Um, <laughs> luckily, the Watsonia talk was at 11 till 12 and the um, Fernie Creek one was at 2, so I was able to hop in the car and dash from one end of Victoria practically to the other. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it was really lovely. Um, I'm just giving a talk at the moment called Enliven Your Garden with Native Plants, um, the, the whys and the hows of um, using native plants in the garden. And, yeah, it seems to go down quite well, so... It's interesting because I was um, interviewing uh, Clive Blazy for a story uh, a couple of weeks ago and, of course, he is not really a huge fan of natives by any stretch of the imagination. And um, I always find it sort of quite odd because he's, you know, right into um, creating gardens because, you know, climate change and and whatever. And he loves being out in the bush. You know, he loves his native plants when he's out in the bush and exploring there, but he really doesn't want to bring them back into the garden and I 
you know, it seemed really odd to me. I was like, oh, you know, what's going on? And then I realised it simply just comes down to aesthetics. Clive likes a really sort of lush green garden, you know, very verdant looking and, um, you know, lots of flowers and, of course, his perennial borders, which I have to say at his garden just look incredible. Um, but then for the for the native lovers like me, that's not the I appreciate it, but it's not the look that I go for. So um, I was it, it did take me a while to figure out. Well, how come he he doesn't want to bring natives into the garden? And it's I mean he doesn't like eucalypts, of course, because you know he thinks they kill people. Um, <laughs> but, um, I saw a but, huge <laughs> limb down on one of the elm trees on the way here. Today, oh, did you so really? Yeah, they probably, lucky nobody was under that last yeah, night. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, so I have been busy with talks, and I've actually. Um, I've left Gardening Australia um, as research and I've um, started working at a production nursery up in the hills, up in Lilydale and Wondon, uh, Larkman Nurseries. And um, that's terrific. That's a family-run nursery. And boy, oh boy, can they do plants properly, you know. It's really funny. I think of my, you know, table of death that I have and all my <laughs> plants, and, you know, if they can make three years through that and then you go there and they've got these massive, massive igloos full of plants that are just bursting with vitality. And I don't know how they do it, you know. I mean, sure, there's a lot of people running around and looking after them, but it's it's quite exceptional to see. And, you know, that area, of course, Lilydale and Wandon, they're just um, – overflowing with um, nurseries and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's lovely to be surrounded by plants. I've got, I play this little game with myself, you know, when I, I go through the igloos every day and um, try to recognise plants that I don't know. Mm. So that's terrific. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to work at a production nursery is to just be surrounded by, you know, thousands of plants, most of which I don't know, and just getting to know them, getting to know them at the, at their real seedling stage and what they look like. And then, of course, with Di and um, Clive, um, the owners and, you know, their son Simon, they know so much about plants. So I'm just – I feel like I'm this little apprentice now getting all this information. <laughs> so it's it's really terrific and um, I'm having a lot of fun there. Well, they Good. grow a huge range of perennials, don't they? Oh, they do. Yes. They mm. absolutely do. So, I mean, they supply the wholesale nursery mostly, but then Dye's got a separate business called Dye's Delightful Plants and they sort of brought me on board to help with their website and social media side of things. I'm doing a lot of writing for them. Okay. Um, which is terrific. Terrific. And um, so we're overhauling the Dyes Delightful Plants website. And that's the that's the mail order side of it. So all the plants that, that they sell wholesale, people can buy through through, through their the mail order thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But soon they'll be able to buy them easier when the website's finished. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a schmozzle at the moment. It's hard to navigate and, and it's old. So <laughs> mm. we're just freshening up. And, and it's just so lovely having to write about plants that I don't know about, you know, so... It's, yeah, lots of research. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's amazing how a good website can generate. Oh, for work. sure, for sure. They they are so powerful. Yeah. I I had a school approach me last week, who you know I said, oh, so how did you get my name? You know, who was through? Oh, we found we came across your website. Oh, I thought, wow. <laughs> yeah. well, there it you is, go. It is amazing. And she yeah. said, oh, I just really like the fact that you had what the design process was and, you know, how you go about it, what the different ways of going about the design process are and, and this and that. So, yeah, some people read them. Some people just look at the pictures. Yeah, but, yes. you know, it's, it's amazing how powerful it is. Yeah, yeah. Because you, know, you didn't have that prior to the internet. That's right. I mean, it is – that's the way it's all going, isn't it, really? I mean, if you don't have a website presence, it's pretty mm. much all over. And a really good web – it's got to be a good website. Yeah. You, know, oh, you yes. do have to yeah. invest the money into yeah. it to, you do. to make it uh, so that people are attracted to it and will stay on it. Yeah. 
Mm. Uh, yeah. that, that's, that's actually a good point. You've got to have a good website. And I wouldn't have a clue about the website, but we've been through four different lots of people who have been advisors. And there's a lot of people out there that are self-trained. Mm. And we finally got onto a, a, um, two ladies that are really very professional, the way they present things. has revolutionised our business. Yeah, really. Yeah. Oh, 60 yeah. to 70% of our sales are over the website. Yeah. And yes. sending stuff off in the mail 12 months of the year. Yeah. 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 Which yeah. has really been good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I came on board with them, I said, look, guys, I'm not a social media expert by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. I mean, I use it and I know what I like. So, I mean, I pretty much have just been copying websites at work, you know, to come up with a new design, you know, and, mm. and Di knows exactly what she wants. Um, you know, want lots of pretty pictures on there of mm. what they actually sell so that people mm. know what they're going to buy rather than just reams of text mm. yeah, and everything. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. Um, it, it really is a, a, an art, I reckon, too. Mm. Well, the other thing that we've found is that, that people have a lot of questions and they want to know a lot of things. Mm. And um, because we put out a newsletter once a week, which I think Diane is an absolute marvel at. Oh, she's doing. amazing. It's extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, it is. I couldn't and, do one once a year. But, but, but the, even the feedback with that website, and um, we always incorporate some jokes in it. Uh, to to make it variable and bad even, jokes. Oh, are they your jokes? No, they're all they're all bad jokes. They're real bad. <laughs> bad, bad jokes. Well, dad, dad and bad jokes, go yeah. together. Yeah, yeah the dad thinking. bad jokes, and even stories about you know the dog or a few little 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 um, episodes of what's what yep. making us human. Mm. Yeah. Are you human, Graham? Yeah, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I think Actually, you've had a couple of really touching stories up there mm. in yes. some of the newsletters. Yes. yes, yes, So do you use MailChimp to send out your newsletters? Um, oh, yes. now she's doing research. Ha- Have oh, a look at this. I tell you, I've discovered the world of MailChimp and I realise that all of the um, the websites that I subscribe to who send me these weekly or by you know mm. bi-monthly newsletters, they all use MailChimp. Mm. And boy, oh boy, it's such a fantastic tool. You know, they've got all the templates there ready to go. So, mm-hmm. And they just they make it easy for the reader, I think, which is oh. the most important thing. Here's this fantastic information. You know, how we're presented with horticultural information now is just to Terrific, you know, jump on your emails and, um, you know, there's a bit of information about, you know, how to grow this or um, why you should grow it and then, you know, if you if you want to buy it. But it's not really pushing it as mm-hmm. such. It's just here's some information and if by chance you want to buy it, you know, come here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just find it, yeah, it's a whole new world of shopping. Mm. Yeah. But you're right, keep it very simple and, and, and as brief as possible yep. uh, because um, people's um, attention span is very. Um, I know because you're getting brief. so many, isn't it? Yeah, that's well, the problem. Yeah, yeah our challenge so is, is overstimulation. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. I, I have this um, this year. I've decided to um, unsubscribe to anything that really sort of annoys me and that I I know that I don't read. And I'm sure, like my the list of emails that are coming through to me is meant to be getting shorter and shorter. But I'm sure it's still getting oh, longer and longer. Yeah. I'm just like I'm yeah. unsubscribing from yeah. you. Why do I they keep getting? Yeah, they don't listen. Don't listen. No, no they don't. Listen. I went through a period of that, unsubscribing every time. Yeah. And it was just in the end a waste of time. You're yes. better off just deleting them. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure they just go through and get your information and go, oh, good, now we'll send you this, this, this and this. Yeah. We'll unsubscribe you yeah, from that yeah. one. But actually being at the other end of it with the um, Dyes Delightful Plants, we did a couple of um, MailChimp mail outs and a few people unsubscribed it and I felt really hurt. Oh. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, why did you unsubscribe? I wanted to ring them up and go, what's going on? <laughs> How could you possibly? Yeah. Yeah. 
What do you mean you don't want to learn about plants? Come back. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So how did you get your list in the first place? Uh, well, they've worked on it for years because they send out a, um, a monthly pictorial catalogue mm. of their plants. So, you know, they've got 2,000-odd people that they, they mm. mail out to. Less six. <laughs> From my mail out. Damn it. <laughs> but, I mean, the thing is you never really know if you're sending out to – junk email people anyway it's yep. yeah you, you never really know but um yes yeah, so i'll be working on building it up not reducing it <laughs> <laughs> okay graham you've brought in a rose this morning uh yes i brought in one of these rose weeds a rose weed mm. yeah, now that I, that doesn't sound too good no and and they're prickly now this is actually a very a very nice climber it's called amber glow bred by the Milan people, the people that bred the famous Peace Rose. And um, AB was look, giving, giving it the sniff tra- test yeah. before. Uh, it actually it does have pass. a perfume. It, I, I don't believe you, Grant. Yeah, no, well, yeah, there you go. See, that's always – any advertising is good advertising. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it's a, a manageable climb. It'll get around about two and a half, three metres high. So, um, And it's one of those roses that we're starting to work with now in breeding to try and get flowers all down the whole rose itself. Um, and, and, and our greatest um, challenge, of course, is people that grow geraniums. And geraniums are almost something that ro- rose breeders look at and say, I want them like that all the way from the top right down to the ground with flowers. Mm. And, um, and then, of course, the big thing with most people now is certainly they've got to be perfume. A rose has got to be perfume. We, can, we, get a, we can't sell a rose now. It hasn't got a perfume. Really? Because yeah. there's a lot of roses out there without perfume. Yeah, oh, there um, a lot of a lot of older varieties, and it's very elusive to breed for per- perfume. Um, but anyway, just to describe this rose, it's an apricot colour, and it'll flower for nine months of the year. And um, it's it's also they've got pickable stems. You could you could take it and put it in a vase. So it's but it does have a few thorns. So if you were growing that on a on a screen or or a fence, would you essentially espalier it? So would you train it up and send it out horizontally, or how would you train it? Um, because it looks like a, quite a small grower. Yeah, it is you, a small you, climber, obviously. Um, Evan, you wouldn't uh, probably need to do that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get that big to to um, you know warrant um, sort of spreading it out. It'll probably grow more in a column. Okay. Well, else. that's very yeah. useful for a lot of people, mm. isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah. So over an archway, one on each side. Yes, go well over an arch. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, really well over an arch. Excellent. Mm, very okay. Good. There's one uh, that I've used a lot over the years called Buff Beauty, which uh, I really like. That's a bit mm-hmm. bigger, obviously, yes. than this one, yeah. but it's yeah. got that great apricot, great perfume, yes. and uh, you know it, you can sort of espalier it along wires and so on. Yeah. Um, as long as you keep the possums off them, yeah. uh, that's the only you know, downside in the city mm. these days and roses, especially on fences and walls. It's, mm. it's really mm. difficult to you know, keep the possums off so you actually end up with zero flowers. Mm. Mm. But um, Buff Beauty is just a ripper. Mm-hmm. I know. Is that a common one still being Yeah, we still sold? sell it in the nursery. Mm. And it's got got a, a rosette-type flower with a lot of petals mm. and they those those sort of flowers will hang on a lot longer because they've got you know, probably got 60 petals in it, Yeah, which is yeah. really good. Yeah. And it's, it's an old-fashioned type rose and it's, um, a, you know, again of that buffy, Buffy um, apricot colour. Mm. 
Yeah, and it's a beautiful colour. Goes with mm. a lot of bricks as mm-hmm. well, really nicely. Mm. Sort of yeah. contrasts with with brick walls really, really, yes, really well. Yes. Yeah. The other really good one I like is Crepuscule. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't yeah. know if that's still growing much. Oh, but, yeah. um, that's our biggest selling climber. Is it? Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. a ripper because it's essentially thornless. Yes. Mm. Which is fantastic, especially mm. for older gardeners, yeah. um, and especially if you're putting it on, you know, front verandas and things like that. You don't yeah. want the big thorns of some yeah. of the some of the roses, but that mm. again has got that wonderful apricotty colour. Mm. Mm. Um, I used that successfully years ago in a, a place in Baldwin, and uh, gee, it did well, well up cre- across the whole veranda. Crepuscule's mm. the rose you see in the um, uh, in the race at Flemington Racecourse, where the where the Winning horses come up that that race to be received in the um, you know award area, and that's mm-hmm. the the buff coloured rose that's in there. Right. And that that rose, you know, once it's well established, you could just use a hedger on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And having very few thorns, it's really um, good in gardens, especially where where you know children are about and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, yeah, they really only good. do it once. And and um, if you've got no thorns, you can't put it on your nose. You can't put the thorn oh, on your nose. Oh, that's right. You that's can't a be a rhinoceros. rhinoceros. A rhinoceros. Yeah. Yes. That's so a rhinoceros. That's good for yeah, kids. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we should all be rhinoceroses. Every, <laughs> when you put the thorns on your nose, you've got to put a bit of spit on them first so they'll stay there. Oh, yeah. you got to yeah. spit on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. These, ones, hey, these, these ones aren't rhinoceros. Oh, they're not breaking off, Graham. I'm very disappointed. Oh, oh there you go. you got one. They're not very big, though. Oh yes, there we go. I think I I think I might be an upside down right now. Pity there's no webcam in this studio. (laughs) Ab's in the nursery putting putting thorns on her nose. It's it's very very first time in in the um in the studio, folks. Believe me, it's the first time. It might be the last too. (laughs) It's a bit disconcerting looking across at it. Looks like I've got a bit wart on my nose. I want to swat it away. <laughs> okay, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. If you'd like to give us a call this morning, we'd love to hear from you. The number to speak to the team on air, which comprises uh, Evan Golke, AB Bishop and Graeme Sargent, is 94190155. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Virginia on the outside line, 94198377. Now, I did uh, mention earlier that uh, there's been a new book released uh, over the Christmas break um, entitled Backyard Chickens, How to Keep Happy Hens. Now, you wouldn't believe the author is Dave Ingham, but he is not a member (laughs) of the Ingham family that we all associate with frozen chickens. Um, So, uh, but Dave actually did start um, a business called Rent-A-Chook, and rent chook is um, a wonderful idea where um, he actually provides for anyone who's never kept chickens, doesn't know if they really want to or not, but is intrigued to find out whether they can live with them, how hard or easy it is. Um, he provides a couple of chickens. He provides a coop. Um, he provides the food. And, of course, loads of instructions. And based on his experiences with meeting people who've never kept chickens before, he's written this book, which um, I must say it's such easy reading because he's got the best sense of humour, which is great. But he also, he's aimed it at people who are a bit in trepidation of, of wanting to 
ever start keeping chickens. And he just spells out everything in very simple language and it really does inspire people to want to take it up. So um, uh, I found it a really, really interesting book for anyone, as I say, wanting to start up. But, of course, there's plenty of information there also for people who uh, already have chickens but would love a bit more information tips and tricks in particular. But just to give you an idea of his sense of humour, right in the very introduction, I'm going to read um, a little passage out that he's written because I think this is hilarious. Um, Selling chickens, you can't take yourself too seriously. Beware hens are sometimes known to spontaneously grow sharp little teeth that should be filed down before the birds become bloodthirsty. For many years, Rentachook sold tooth files for the management of this poorly researched and little understood condition. The tooth files had quite special attributes, being both invisible and weightless, a bargain at just $10 each and all proceeds given to charity. My favourite tooth file sale was to a guy I'll call Damien, not his real name. Damien ordered his coop and hens online, including extra feed and a tooth file. How I loved checking orders and finding one with a tooth file request. (laughs) Everything was delivered and all went well. However, a week later I got an email from Damien. He was thrilled with his new chickens but couldn't find his tooth file. I replied with an apology and said I would send him one. I posted an empty padded envelope. (laughs) Another polite email from Damien (laughs) arrived later that week, advising that the envelope had arrived but was empty. My reply included a link to the description on the website, clearly advising that the tooth files were invisible and weightless. Another polite inquiry from Damien. He didn't understand. I was on the point of sending him another empty envelope when I thought, I have to let him go. So I sent the reply, have you ever heard the expression, rare as hen's teeth? (laughs) Damien said, oh. (laughs) Five minutes later, Damien again got me. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) So that just gives an example of of the way uh, the book is written. It's very humorous, as I said. It's really, really easy reading. Does it have a troubleshooting section? It does have a troubleshooting section. It has a really interesting section on um, can I keep chickens in my backyard? Um, Things like, and he goes through some of the myths, chickens are smelly, chickens attract snakes, chickens attract rats, chickens will destroy my garden. Uh, And yes, uh, keeping hens in a suburban setting is legal. He goes through a whole, he even has a, a checklist Um, Even if you're living in an apartment in the inner city, um, what you need to checklist, if you come through the checklist, yes, you can keep chickens. So, um, And can you keep chickens in an apartment in the inner city? Yes, you can. And will a chicken be happy? (laughs) No, it won't. If you follow follow his instructions, yes. Just just don't have a rooster. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, oh, yes. But even basic um, advice like cleaning out the chicken coop, and and he's got some really, really handy advice on all of that. Things like catching and handling chickens because not everyone instantly does it and they're scared of it, particularly mm. if they've got um, young children and they've never handled a chicken before. So lots and lots of advice. Pam, uh, I'll, I'll give you what my real tip is about catching chickens. 
yep. go down there to the chook house of a night time and catch them. Yep. And they're, because they're, they're half asleep. Yeah. They're drowsy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then whatever you do, when you pick them up, especially the rooster, you stroke their lobes. Right. And, and you can, um, if you become proficient at it, you can a- actually hypnotise them. Yep. <laughs> you, that's true, Liz, okay. it really is. Okay. Can you make them act like a human? <laughs> Hypnotise them? Would you want to? <laughs> I'd rather act like a chicken than have a chicken act like a human. The, I, I must say, if anyone gets hold of a copy of the book, I was laughing out loud at his description, <laughs> thanks, AB, of um, how to introduce a chicken to the pet family dog, and that is hilarious. But we're, anyway. a bit, we're a bit worried with Pam here this morning, folks. We're a bit worried that she might actually lay an egg. <laughs> <laughs> that was AB, not me. <laughs> anyway, to get back to the nitty-gritty. Um, do, you the know bo- that, do you know that they're not chickens? What are they? The correct word is a fowl. Oh. A chicken is a baby chicken. Okay. But the chicken word came from chicken licking stuff. You well, know, I'm talking American about American. hens, will that yeah, do? That, that's, that's <laughs> Not roosters, hens. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, the book is called Backyard Chickens, How to Keep Happy Hens. It's uh, by Dave Ingham. Uh, it's uh, published... Um, by uh, Alan and Unwin. Now, the recommended retail price is $35. Now, we do have one copy uh, for a supporter segment this morning. If you're thinking of or you have a friend or a relative who's thinking of trying out uh, Keeping Chickens, I thoroughly recommend the book. As I say, we have one copy, um, which you can have for $35, or if you want it posted, you'll have to add another $10 to that for the postage these days, unfortunately. But uh, if you'd like to pick up that copy of the book, we only have one, you can call Jenny now on 94190155. That's 94190155. You can have that book, and that will help to support 3CR and The Gardening Show. Okay, we have a few callers online. Let's get to them. Uh, first up, we have uh, Andrew, who's out in Burwood. Good morning, Andrew. Andrew, are you there? No, we uh, we seem to have a problem there. I might try our second caller. Maybe the um, computer has affected our callback line as well. We'll see if we can get to... Uh, Dave in Frankston. Are you there, Dave? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, we I can. can. Thank oh, you. that's right. Good morning. Good morning. I've got, I've got two questions. The first question, Lantana, um, can, can I try to grow it from cuttings? And I always seem to have trouble with it. Uh, is it a special way? Because I do like them and it really draws the bees and everything. Are they easy to grow from cuttings? I right. would have imagined so, given that they're pretty they're much a noxious weed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised that you're having mm. trouble with them, Dave. What What are you actually doing? What's oh, your I just method? I just uh, cut some cuttings off and everything, and I just you know uh, just shape shape the cutting and everything, and I put it in you know in in the potting mix and everything, and it I, it just seems to. It doesn't seem to kick on. Are you cutting it off at the node, so just below the node, so giving it an area to set roots? I'm not sure about that. Okay, so maybe that's what's happening. Just where the leaves are coming out, just cut just below um, where they're coming out and, you know, maybe a 12-centimetre cutting, cut just below the leaf nodes, pull the 
leaves off and um, and put it in potting mix, and that should be fine. Well, in a propagating mix, yeah, or propagating, rather, yeah, rather than it, it something be, a bit finer, yeah, yeah it might yeah, be yeah. too open what yeah, you're using, right. and so maybe it's drying out. Sometimes putting a plastic bag over the top of a pot like that too um, is enough just to keep it uh, humid. Um, All right. I imagine there's lantanas that are not noxious weeds, ones that are I'm not sure self-seeding. Are. But... Stephen's probably cursing me from <laughs> Massenden as <laughs> but, we speak. But, I mean, they are a particular <laughs> problem in some areas, like the Whitsundays. They're just dreadful across a lot of the islands there. I don't know about down here whether they're sort of such I've, a big deal. I've seen, I've seen actual uh, residential blocks covered with lantana. Mm. Yeah. Uh, right here you know, in Melbourne? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah Have you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there was, uh, you know, we had a problem actually in, in Essendon when I worked with the Essendon Mm. Council and there were we got calls about the lantana and if it gets away, oh, that's yeah. the, this is the common one. Yes, if it gets yeah. away can be quite a problem. They are pretty though, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah and the butterflies love them. Yeah. Yes, and, and I think you'd be better off to try and keep it in in some decent sized pots, mate. I, that that'd be my uh, advice. And, and my second question is, you know, the the tall date palms. You know, you see them around. Mm. And you might be walking down to the shops and there was a seed pot had actually been blown off. And there's, you know, that sort of little shell thing around it and there's all these little green things. Are they the seeds? And can you grow a date palm from those little groups of almost like green marbles inside this pod? Can you actually grow a date palm from those green seeds? I've never tried to grow one, but they pop up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're clearly easy to propagate um, because they uh, they do come up. If there's a if there's a, a palm nearby, I think maybe the blackbirds may eat them and spread them. I'm not too sure, but they do get spread around and they do pop up in gardens really really readily. So I think you could grow them very very easily. And some of those date palms, they they're fantastic in in wind because you know they're pretty strong, and some of them grow pretty high, don't they? Oh, they're huge if you go down to St Kilda Foreshore. You, and you need space to put them as well because uh, I know we look after a garden or my, my team looks after a garden where there's one that's obviously self-sown next to the neighbour's fence, you know, maybe 20 okay. years ago. And, and, of course, it's just, you know, it's becoming enormous. And the, the Is it fronds, going to push the fence down? Yeah, well, it, it's already done that once. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so – and they spread and, of course, they're very spiky um, down low. Uh, so you really need the space. They're a wonderful palm, but and, you need the space to have them. And those little green, round little things, are they the seeds, are they? I'm not sure if they would be green. I, I sort of doubt that they're green. Or flowers. Unless they're immature and they've yeah. fallen down or the copies have pulled them pulled off. Pulled them off, yeah. yeah. I would have thought they were a darker colour than that, just sort of thing you, when you see them drop off. Mm. And, and just another question, last night it was sort of mild and I was just sitting outside at night. I looked up at the uh, at the uh, television antenna and there sitting on top was an owl. And someone told me that owls keep, keep their eyes on possums and everything. Have you heard anything about owls that they, they do seem to attack possums? Have you heard anything about that? Sure I would have do. thought powerful owls. Yeah, powerful would, owls would oh, definitely yes. take a possum. Mm. But they're quite to see an owl just sitting up there. Mm. They do have their own presence, don't they? Oh, oh absolutely. They're magical. Dudes. Yeah, they mm. are wonderful. 
Anyway, enjoy the program and see, see if we can get a little bit more rain because I think we need a, bit, a little bit more. <laughs> we'll do our we'll best. We'll organise that afterwards. We're, we're, busy at the moment. we're, pe- we're pedalling our rain bikes, mate. <laughs> see, oh, just quickly, isn't it horrific, the weather up in New South Wales and Queensland? Oh, it's just 45, 46 degrees. I don't know, in the old thing, that's getting up to about 118, 120 in the shade. Yes, yes, it's... Very hot. Record-breaking. Yep. Anyway, enjoy your program. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Dave. Bye. Bye. My parents-in-law um, live in Upway, and they have uh, their house like a lot of Upway blocks. It's, it's a sloping block that they built on in the 50s, and uh, they have a, a birch tree at the back <clears throat> that the back windows look out to. And for years now, a pair of tawny frogmouths um, mm. visit there very, very regularly. Mm. And... Uh, Late last year, um, they looked out one day and there were two little ones oh, with them. Oh, really? so great. Two little fluff balls yep. sitting yeah, next really, to yeah, in between amazing. the parents. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So for years, and I think it's always a good day when they wake up and the owls are there. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, it's been going on for years, yeah. years and years. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I was talking to a, a couple yesterday at the um, up at the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society and um, they were, we were just talking fauna generally and they were saying how they had these magpies that a pair of magpies that would come down regularly and, and visit them and then one day they appeared with their babies and, um, you know, they'd come back every now and again with the babies and then one day they came down and they left the babies there and flew off and they're like... <laughs> We are babysitting. We are babysitting <laughs> these chicks. So it was, obviously, the parents felt quite comfortable leaving them there. So just, all of those stories are so lovely, aren't they? I mean, we've got um, baby mag, magpies at the moment, and I, I just love them. They're just, you know, all the squawking noises they make, and oh. it's, mm. they're just adorable. They yeah. want to be fed constantly. Yeah, oh, constantly. Right. Yeah. And uh, how, do you, how do you deal with it when, when some of the parents turn the baby upside down and, and look like they're giving the baby a belting or something? Yeah. Yeah, they're really, really But the chuffs are another. They're a fantastic group. Do you get them at your place? Yes, yes. yeah. Aren't they? They're such a social group, and all of the aunties and uncles they all look after this one young. Yeah, you know. Mm. So it's um, it's quite incredible. Like we've seen them. They build mud brick nests or Mm. mud nests, not mud brick, but mud nests, (laughs) and um, and they all cluster. The whole group of them clusters around this nest. Feeding, you know, the one or two chicks. Mm. It's mm. quite wow. incredible to see, yeah. Mm. yeah. Fantastic. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. If you'd like to phone in and uh, make a comment or ask a gardening question, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155 to have a chat to Evan Golke, A.B. Bishop or Graham Sargent. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Virginia on the outside line, phone nine four one nine eight three double seven. AB, you've brought a plant in. Oh, I have, and um, I have been opened up to the world of hops. And I, I sort of feel like we need either James or Millie in here because I have no doubt that know far more than me. But it's it's quite an incredible world. And, you know, we were just talking about climbers before, and this is a um, – well, it looks like a vine, but in actual fact, I've learned that it's a vine. And um, the difference being, does anyone know? You guys probably all know the difference, but I didn't know the difference. Dive back, is that the difference? No, no. no. Oh, goody, you didn't know either. Fantastic. <laughs> so a vine, if you think of, you know, 
traditional grapevine or whatever, they are passion fruit, they climb with little tendrils. So they send out those little Ah. curly tendrils. Whereas a bine actually climbs with its own growing shoot. So these growing shoots will twist their way around whatever Mm. support that you've put out there. Okay. And um, they're they're a gorgeous plant. You know, whether you're growing them for the the hops flowers themselves, um, which, of course, are are used to flavour beer and they add that bitter quality to beer. And um, so I'm learning all about the alpha acids and things like that, which is terrific. You know, um, the reason I brought it in is because we actually sell them. And um, there's, I think there's, you know, there's only, there's three species of humulus. So it's humulus lupulus, which is the um, um, botanic name. And there's three species of that, but it's only the lupulus which is uh, cultivated for their actual hops flowers or strobiles, they're called, just in case of we want to get te- technical. Yeah. And, and um, so, yeah, I mean, they've been cultivated for thousands of years and there's, there's around 120 varieties and, and they've all got different sort of qualities. So acid contents, you know, you might want them for, um, for flavouring or for the aroma or to add a bit of bitterness. And um, but they're also used to in Europe. They're used to flavour soft drinks, and um, people use them as a, a herbal concoction because they've got a sedative quality, which sort of makes sense because when you drink beer, you want to fall asleep, um, and that's obviously why it's from. The I hops. thought that was the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's actually the hops flowers themselves have got a sedative quality it's similar really? to valerian. Yeah, so um, people also grow them um, to use the flowers just in in that. I way. wonder if that affects the bees. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> I'll come back to you on that one. Pam. Good, good. But yeah, so the one I brought in is Red Earth. And, and for people who know um, their hops, this has got woody, spicy and citrus aromas with an alpha acids of uh, around 9.5%. Okay. So, um, But, you know, the thing that I was talking with Clive about is even if you didn't want to grow it for the um, hops flowers themselves, it's a beautiful plant. It really is, you know, it's um, it's not unlike grape leaves in a way, um, but they're quite hairy and, and the stems are hairy as well because that gives them that, you know, um, added ability to, to climb. And they are, they're dioecious, so male flowers on one plant and females on the others. And um, you don't need both. You, you grow the plant, you grow female plants if you're growing them for the hops flowers themselves. And they die back every winter. So for, you know, if you're looking for a plant for a north-facing veranda where you want a bit of shade in summer and, um, um, yeah, to die back in winter and let the sun back in, they're a gorgeous plant. Hmm. So, I grow one. Do you? Um, yeah, do I you got use one. the hops? No. Oh, my father-in-law's tried. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, I, I think unless you're really into it, it's hard to sort of – if you're doing the, the kit brewing, I think it's probably hard to do. You've got, probably got to get into it a little bit more. But he certainly used it. Um, so I've got one called Tetnanka, which came from the Red Hill Brewery. Oh, yes. I bought some because I actually needed some for a job many years ago. Yeah. And uh, so I approached them and they sold me some. Yeah. Um, There's not many places that sell them. No, no. I remember at the time it was a bit of a battle getting it, you know, uh, you know, the the whole day, oh, will we give it to you or not? You know? Yeah, right. Uh, and eventually they, they did, which was great. Um, but I use it, um, I've got an old uh, bed uh, spring, you know, if you know, sort of the mattress base. Oh, yes, yes. On a wall, and uh, it goes up there every year, and it is magnificent, and you can literally watch it grow. It grows so fast yep. through the summer. Yep. 
And the way it just dags over things and sort of hangs over things. And you can let, I let it go up the lemon tree as well because it doesn't sort of, I mean, obviously you've got to prune it back a little bit, but it doesn't go berserk. You and know? because and, it dies and back. And because it dies yeah. back, it, it's, it's okay. And it only gets up there, you know, it's up there now. Yeah. Um, so it takes a while to get up there from, from spring. Um, and, and it suckers a little bit, but not too much. And you just, if there's a, a cane going in the wrong direction, you just snap it off. Yeah. And, and, and just, chuck it on the lawn and mow over it so yeah it's a it's a really really good vine and the and the cones are beautiful they are just stunning in themselves mm. aren't they like little um sort of lime green lanterns mm. almost yes. mm. they're just adorable it's, it surprises me that there's not a bigger um hops production in australia but, um, because we do have a a good climate for it they like anything sort of south of central new south wales through to all the way to tassie mm. um anywhere in tassie and you know i think germany is the biggest producer and um, the the fields that they've got of them, they, you know, they grow them up extremely high trellises um, facing in an east-westerly direction so that they get the most amount of um, even sunlight. And, um, yeah, it, it's such a beautiful plant. It, re- it does surprise me that we don't have a bigger production here. I know there's a few mm. places growing them, but, um, Don't yeah. drink enough beer? Oh, I'm sure we drink enough beer, but um, yeah. But what I like is the um, the craft um, brewers that are buying it off us. They get really excited by them. So yeah, it's. Um, I just think it's a great climber, and and as you say, for an area where you want winter sunshine coming in, and yeah. something that it it sort of signals the seasons a little bit too. You know, when when it starts growing and and moving uh, through the summer and then it, it explodes into its cones and uh, and then dies back. It's just a really good signaller of the, of the season. Does so it's it have a, it's deciduous – I mean, not deciduous, like um, does it colour up? Uh, not really, no, a little no, bit, yeah. but it's nothing to write home about. Yeah. Um, but it just dies back. And if you grow it on um, – I used to grow it up on strings yeah. and just that sort of – uh, natural string, whatever that's oh, called. Yeah, yeah. Twine that, that, or whatever. Yeah, that yeah, sort of twine, twine that breaks down. Yeah. So you just um, pull the whole lot down oh, yeah. and just throw it into the compost. Fantastic. Uh, so, and, and that's so it's a very, very easy climber. Mm. It's easy to manage. Yeah. Um, if you want to move it, you just dig it up and throw it somewhere else, and they're tough as anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, they need a reasonable amount of moisture. Um, but apart from that, they, they just. Um, do you reckon they do all right in a pot? Uh, yeah, well, I had mine. First of all, I had it in an area where it was fairly heavy, the soil, and yep. it grew, but it didn't grow well. Um, then it got put into a large pot and it went under the lemon tree and it grew through the pot and out and, uh, you know, sort of did its thing from Took the off. pot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one year I decided to relieve it of its pot um, and just cut the pot off it. And But it literally grew on the surface. Yeah. Yep. But, but it was in the shade because it was under the lemon tree. Yep. So the root ball was under the lemon tree. Yeah. So okay. certainly, you know, it, it needs good drainage. Yeah, yeah. But it yep. needs adequate moisture, I yep. would say. Yeah. Um, from my experience with but, them, but they're just—I just love the way they drape. Yeah, it's like for me, Boston Ivy is the best climber in the world um, because of the way it drapes. Yeah, mm. and this sort of does a similar thing, but it comes and it goes. Yeah, you know, completely. Yep. Mm. Okay, let's go to our next caller, and uh, we have uh, Bill, who's out in East Hawthorne. Good morning, Bill. Oh, good morning. Uh, I'm just out here looking at down my backyard through the window. And I've got two avocado trees in my small backyard. Right. One's a bacon. Yes. And the other one is a reed. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
and the the bacon was put in uh, probably 10 years plus ago, mm-hmm. but it's always been decimated by possums. I had one really good year where I had about 60 pieces of fruit right. off it, and this year I had probably 100 pieces, but a couple of weeks ago, most of them all fell off. Right. Mm. Yeah. And But not with the reed. The reed is... The reed, the reed, which is a, a only a young tree, it's probably only four or five years old. It's got about two hundred pieces of fruit mm. on it at the moment, mm. roughly, mm. most it's ever had. Mm. But no problem. You get the odd one dropping, but mm. in fact, I can look at about fifteen that's sitting on the outside table as we speak. Mm. But basically, it's not dropping any fruit. But they nearly all came off. I've only got probably half a dozen left on the bacon tree now. Yeah. And just wondering what you may suggest so it doesn't happen again next year. For the dropping off. The dropping off. Yeah, I think the dropping off is really from um, sort of sporadic weather. That's the exact word I was going to use. Yeah, Yeah, that seems to be with mine. I also have a reed and a bacon and I have a house and, I don't know, something else, a wurtz, I think it is. Yes. Uh, And the reed is by far the best one. Um, it's, It's such a fast grower, isn't it? It's a big tree. It is, but um, and and lots and lots and lots of fruit. Well, I've been. It's been very successful, but I actually find the reed fruit quite tasteless. Yeah, compared, I think it's a compared to the bacon. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, I agree. Um, but the, uh, I think it depends how long you take before you eat them. You know, sometimes it can take three weeks off the tree, yeah. Um, yeah. and if you go into them too early, they're not as good. But yeah, uh, I agree. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you just have to be really patient with um, from from taking them off. I think also it, it, taking them off really regularly um, probably helps them fruit better the next year. Uh-huh. Sometimes I think one year I didn't take many off and just uh, and quickly enough, and uh, yes. it actually didn't fruit at all the next year. Yes. Oh, that's um, interesting. But it's certainly moisture because they're sort of a, a tropical plant. Yes. yes. And uh, they need that summer moisture. So some summers uh, they cope absolutely fine, and some where it's cool and it's warm and then it's um, you know not so much rain, they just yeah just drop them. But my apples have dropped a lot of fruit this year as well, especially the early varieties. Mm. They dropped a lot of fruit, um, mm. which they normally don't do. So it's just uh, I, I do, do think it's just the season and, and how sporadic the weather right. has been. Okay, mm. but you still have quite a few on the reed anyway, wouldn't you? Oh, the reed's full. The it's reed's full. full. Yeah, oh, right. There you go. It's full. Yeah. But no, with very few drop-off. I mean, I, yeah. I, I say to you now, I'm looking about 20 on, on the outside table there, little ones that have dropped off. Yeah. But it's still got at least 200 pieces on it, and it's only a small <laughs> tree. And, in fact, I'm thinking of pruning, and you might be able to advise me here, the new growth, I really don't want the tree to get much bigger, and I was thinking of pruning off the new growth after the last fruit at the top level, if you can understand what I mean. Yeah, I do that. I take the top out of mine every year. You do? Yeah. Now, when would be a good time to do that? Now, whilst it's still growing and the fruit aren't, haven't developed yet? Um, I think now would be fine. I, I wouldn't have a problem doing it now. I'd probably tend to do it more, more probably in March. Right. 
But um, I don't think it really matters when you're just right. just lobbing things off. Yes. Because it is no. a very big tree, Reed. Is it? I didn't think it was going to grow as large as it's growing. The uh, Fortunately, it's in the middle of the backyard, so it's, it won't be attacked by the possums, whereas whereas the bacon is closer to a wall where they they jump and I've actually seen them in flight from the trees, the possums from the trees, the high trees next door, jumping down onto the bacons, flying <laughs> through the air. Right. But not, but not this year. Okay. All right. Well, Thanks, thank you Bill. very much. Okay, Good luck. then. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, I, I've planted reed in um, some childcare centres as well, just because it is such a strong grower. Yep. Such a big tree, and, and they can use them. Mm. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're a wonderful tree. Yep. But you do need a little bit of moisture with them, that's all. But um, And what about food? I'm just wondering if Bill was having, you know, if he hadn't kept the fertiliser up to it and... I don't know. I don't fertilise any of my garden, really, apart mm. from a bit of chicken manure and, and, and then I just put on compost and mulch and that sort of thing. So don't know. Mine seem to go quite well with yeah, being quite you, lazy. Yeah, you good soil down there. Uh, no, it's, it's reasonable. There's Fairly one, heavy yeah. clay is yeah. what I started with. Oh, yeah. So um, I've sort of worked it from there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe sometimes putting too much fertiliser on things just makes them really grow rather than sort of fruiting. But this year for the avocados, I think it's been really good because there's just been so many insects around um, early earlier in the year. The hoverflies this year were just unbelievable. Oh, weren't they? Yeah, oh, I remember never that. I've seen so many. And the other thing um, is butterflies. We haven't. Uh, I, I don't. I don't remember a season living where we are where we had so many butterflies. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've noticed that at the nursery. Yeah, just plenty of f- food about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and the white flies. Of course, the white flies are what a lot of insects live on. Yeah. And they've been very prolific. The, the white mm. flies. Yep. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Okay, we need to go to a call and uh, online. We have Michelle Adler from way down in Briagalon. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Pam. I'm enjoying your talk there vicariously because I can't get three CR where I am, unfortunately. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, you've got uh, your first event coming up for Friends of Burnley uh, Gardens, haven't you? We do. Look, Friends of Burnley Gardens is celebrating their 20th year this wow. year. Well done. And I know. We're pretty excited about that because, you know, it's, at times it's been a bit of a bit of a haul, a bit of a long haul, mm-hmm. but we've managed to achieve some great projects in the gardens for Perhaps for listeners who don't know where the Burnley Gardens are, they're just in Richmond, um, off the uh, uh, Yarra Boulevard, um, on the city side of the Yarra. So we've got uh, nearly 25 acres there that have been going since the mid-1800s, and they're contemporary with the Royal Botanic Gardens, but much less known because they're sort of tucked away off the off the, the road. And um, people also think that they belong to um, uh, an institution where they can't come in. But they're a public garden and they were set set aside all those years ago in the 1860s um, for the public. So that's the the Burnley Gardens now owned by the University of Melbourne. But the Friends Group there, um, as I say, we've got a wonderful program this year because we're celebrating 20 years. Um, our first event is on Valentine's Day, or St. Valentine's Day. That's the 14th of February. And we have um, an international artist called Andrew Rogers coming to speak to us. 
and Andrew Rogers um, lives locally, just in Turak. So I was uh, quite amazed that, to find that he was available to speak for us. And he's going to talk about drawings on the earth, big, bold and beautiful. And in fact, he, he is a land artist rather than a landscape artist. And he does the most amazing sculptures, usually in stone, big sculptures, sometimes 30 metres by or 80 metres in length, to be viewed from the air. Mm. So he was actually inspired by the Nazca Lines. If any of, of the listeners have seen the Nazca Lines, they're seen from the air. And in fact, nobody to this day really knows how they got there. But Andrew Rogers has done something similar now in all seven continents, in 16 countries in the world, and in 51 installations. So it's been a huge project called Rhythms of Life. And he's worked with the local indigenous people where he can in, in the situations where he's put these sculptures. And... Um, and he's, he's worked with something like 7,500 people over that period of time. Wow. It's just quite amazing. In fact, I first learned about Andrew Rogers when a, a friend of ours was staying with us. She was a Chilean girl and she was studying arts. And she, she said to me, oh, I have to meet, meet Andrew Rogers. And I said, well, Jimena, who is this man, Andrew Rogers? Oh, she says he's done a beautiful sculpture in the Atacama Desert. And, of course, she was Chilean. And um, here he was living in Melbourne. And I didn't, un unfortunately, ashamedly, didn't know about him. Um, he's even done a, um, a big sculpture in the Yuyangs. And I wonder if, if folk might have seen that. It's called Bunjil, which is an Aboriginal totem. It's, a, it's an eagle. And he's done this huge 30-metre-wide um, sculpture made out of stone. And it's in the Yuyangs, and you, you do have to climb one of the one of the Yuyang mountains to actually see it properly. Um, but I recently found it, and I didn't have time to climb the mountain because I had fish in my car. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been a bit nasty. It could have. Um, but I actually went and viewed it from the ground, and even then it was awe-inspiring to see these huge rocks that had been moved into the place, in the, into the place, from the place and sculpted into a, a beautiful eagle. Well, I have to say, Michelle, um, uh, after receiving your email, I did type in Andrew Rogers and up immediately comes photographs of a lot of his uh, land art projects, including the one in the Yuyang. So if listeners want to simply type in Andrew Rogers, you'll be able to have a look at uh, what some of these amazing land art projects are. Ah. Absolutely. In fact, his website is uh, andrewrogers.org.au. So if, if folk aren't able to come to the, to the talk that's happening on Tuesday or, you know, or for whatever reason, you can still access his, um, his website and have a look at some of, some of his work. He'll be fascinating to, to, to hear, Michelle, because, um, as you say, he's been working with where he can with Indigenous people as well, so he must have some wonderful stories. Uh, look, absolutely, and when I, when I look at his website, and there are video clips on it as well, um, the one I really, well, they're all absolutely beautiful, and I love the Atacama Desert one, which is a, a mythical creature with six legs, um, but I also love the, 
uh, one in Israel, which is called Celebration of Life. And in it are, um, after the sculptor, sculpture was finished, the photographs in, include pregnant women, women with their babies in, in utero, and, um, and they're all standing on this sculpture, and they're all dressed in white. And it's just stunning. It's mm. called Celebration of Life. Mm. Um, and and I, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated, and I'm really excited to hear him. In fact, folk can, we, we're having a dinner to, to accompany the talk, and people can come to the dinner, um, which means, you know, meet the artist, which is, which is ex- an exciting opportunity. Um, and that's at 5 o'clock on Tuesday, Tuesday 14th. Uh, if people want to come to that, they do have to book, and they'd have to go to our Friends of Burnley Gardens website, which is www.fobg, that is Friends of Burnley Gardens, fobg.org.au. Or if they, if they need to, they can um, phone and leave a message, which is 9035 6815, 9035-6815, and we'll get back to them. Um, But if they can't come to the dinner, and the dinner is a cost, $35 for non-members, but $25 for members, and that's actually dinner and talk. Wow, that's That's great value. That's good value. (laughs) But if you can't come to the dinner and just want to come to the talk, it's at 7 o'clock, and for non-members it's $20, and for members it's 10 Brilliant. So I think, you know, that's such an opportunity to meet a local, amazing, internationally acclaimed artist and uh, to hear about the work that he's been doing now over, over many, many years. Mm. Um, this, this project called Rhythms of Life is, um, is a long one. It's, the time span is actually 16 years. Yes, 16 wow. 16 countries, 16 years. Wow. Fantastic. That is amazing. Okay. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we might see some of uh, our C- 3CR listeners. And uh, the venue is the Burnley Gardens in Richmond, 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. The um, website is fobg.org.au. And uh, if you want to call 9035-6815. And plenty of parking there in Yarra Boulevard. Plenty of parking in Yarra Boulevard, especially at 5 o'clock. You don't have to pay. Yep. And um, there'll be signage to show you where to go. We're going to be meeting at the sugar gum table. You know, that might not mean anything to people, but um, there'll be signage. Okay. And, and, the, and the talk is in the hall later on in the, in the uh, evening. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, all the best for that one. So just a reminder to listeners, that is next Tuesday night. So uh, you need to jump on the phones and, and, uh, and try and book or jump on that website or that, that email address and book to get in onto that. What a wonderful experience to be able to, to sit and chat to, uh, to Andrew over, over a meal. I know. Very you know, exciting. It's such an opportunity. And uh, he's, a, he's a sculptor as well as a land artist. I, mm. mean, I didn't go into that part of it, but he's... And, and also a great photographer, I might add. Uh, yes, a wonderful photographer. In fact, I'm just sitting here at the computer um, running a few of the video clips that are YouTube video clips. They're just, just stunning. Yes. So even if you can't come, pop on, onto his website and have a look. That's Andrew Rogers. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you, Pam. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Right, next up we need to go to, uh, let me see, where are we, Pam, who's up in Kyneton. Good morning, Pam. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Morning, Pam. Good morning, morning. Nice damp morning. 
Good. We haven't been outside the studio, so I'm hoping it's still raining. Yeah, it was drizzling <laughs> when we came in. It's just drizzling nicely. Okay, good. That'll so soak in. It'll soak in well. Um, Graham, I was wanting to ask you about my roses. Pam, you've got roses? <laughs> oh, Graham, I tell you what. Those rare plants. <laughs> I struggle up here. Really? Yeah, I struggle with my roses where I am. Well, tell me about what's happening. Oh, it's the soil. Um, right, so I've got a row of Ragosa roses which sit on the um, east side of my... And it's a really hard spot, but I put in um, oh, six of them. So the yes. two back ones, they're as high as the fence right. and flowering beautifully, right? That's just the alba, you know, the common mm. white alba. Yes, and then the other ones, the four down, uh, which are a little bit lower, and I think, dra- I'm not sure if drainage might be a problem. Mm-hmm. But anyway, every year they die back. Right. So the, and I've asked you about these before. Right. So, and it's the new growth that dies back yes. first, right? So, right. and the leaves will start to go brown. So right. half the leaf will be green, half brown, you know, it's sort of like a moves across the leaf and then it all dies off and then the whole piece dies back. And they were so bad about a month ago, I thought this has been happening now for the last two to three years. I'm going to have to dig these roses out or if they do have a virus or something, then they're going to affect the others. Mm. So, um, So I dug them out. Yes. Um... But what I really and what did you do with them when you dug them out? I put them in the um, green bin. Oh, really? Okay. Not a good idea. No, no, no. no it was just interesting what you did with them. Mm-hmm. I cut them all up and put them in the green okay. bin. Okay. All right. Um, and so, but what I really want to know is, with roses, how susceptible are they to animal manure? Well, um, it would depend on how fresh the manure was. Yes. Uh, what sort of manure was it? Cow manure. Cow manure. Well, if, if, even if you use cow manure, you need to be um, uh, in a position where you can keep the cow manure, say, in, in, a, in a heap for about three or four months. Yes. And then put it on. Right. All right. So what about cow manure impregnated straw? Impregnated so the straw where cows, oh, yeah. because I always collect the straw from the Kyneton, after the Kyneton show, yes. from the cattle pens, from yes. the cow pens, right? Right. Because they just pile it all up yes. and it all just sits there. So a lot of gardeners from around the town will go and collect it. Right. Me being one of them. Right. Um, and so I was wondering if that would have created dieback because I've read as much as I can about Rugosa roses yeah. and they all say that they are disease resistant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Well, yeah, they're mo- the most disease resistant of, of the roses that I know of and we always endeavour to get some breeding of Rugosa in- into our breeding program. Mm. Yeah. So would you have considered that that dieback in the new growth, the whole stems, all the stems, would have been a virus? Well, um, it's it's possible, but again, virus virus in roses is not actually spread. That can only spread um, vegetatively. That is, that if you take 
um, a piece of wood from one plant and implant it or like use it or graft into another you can you can spread it that way but it's not something that's really spread by anything else so so these roses had dieback is that mm. what you would have considered that they would have had dieback well dieback is dieback actually is a fungus yeah okay so somewhere along the line um if the if the soil's dampish and yeah, not well drained, get because there's a drain, you know, kind can be in the well drained town that it isn't. Mm. Goes <laughs> down beside that bed. Mm. I would I would suggest what your real challenge is is actual drainage, yeah. and the drainage is is helping to to get that dieback going, which is actually a, a fungus itself. Right. And so I really should have built that bed up, even though it's reasonably high, mm. I should have really had it built up much higher. So, Pam, the soil you're in, is, is it black volcanic soil? Yes, it is, Graham. Yeah. And it's been turned over there because um, when I dig around there, I dig up a lot of, like, rock. Yes. It's like that yes. volcanic rock. Yeah. 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 So it's really the soil's my problem, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It sounds very much like it to me, and 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 drainage. And, and if you're going to plant anything in there again, especially roses, uh, mm. you really need to take some of that soil out. Yes, yes, I figured that. I had ta- I I mean, I know from all the things I read and listening to you and all the rest of it. Yes, you have to take. Yeah. So I've got two left at one end and I've got the big two at the other end. And tell me, Graham, in one of the books I read it said that um, persistent frost can have an effect on them as well. Do yeah. you think that's the case, well, yeah. in your opinion? Yeah, there are some years that we experience frost similar to you at Kyneton. And, and oh, that, terrible. That, yeah, it, it weakens things. Yeah. Mm. I but, you think... know, in, in the fibres of the plant. Yeah, I think it's a combination, with my feeling, I think mm. it's a combination of the hard, heavy soil. Yeah. And, um, and that constant, because they're on the east side near the ovals from mm. the school next door, and mm. they just get the worst of the frost. Yeah. And so they cop that pounding all the time. Yeah, and that then makes the tissues in the, in the plant and the branches weak, and yeah. so then the fungus get, can get in. Yeah, so should I have fed them more with something like with an organic fertiliser? Would that have helped them? No. Seaweed certainly yeah. will certainly you, help. You're out. better off using seaweed yeah. um, rather than some, some organic feed, but yeah. uh, not a lot. No, not a lot. But seaweed actually helps. Seaweed. Yeah, it mm. helps strengthen the cell walls. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll, for the ones that are left, the two big ones at the back, they're mm. not a problem at all. And then they cop the weather just as bad. But I think because they're a little bit higher, yep. I think that's made the difference with them because they're stunning. Mm-hmm. But the others just don't seem to cut it. And I had big cypress trees on the other side of the road, which the... Um, Council have taken down and now put in some other lovely trees. Right. And I, th- I don't think that helped either. The roots from those trees might have been underneath that bed. I don't know. But anyway, mm. anyway, you've answered my question. I mean, you've confirmed what I thought myself was the problem. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The soil okay. up here is a challenge. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Battle on, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Graham. Thank Thanks. you so much for your help. All right, again. Pam. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye.
That's interesting, Graeme, what you were saying about the waterlogging because I was chatting last year with, um, do you know in South Australia a really massive rose garden, Lynbrook or Lyndhurst or something, mm. it's a huge, huge rose garden and um, Mark and Denise are the owners and they, they had that those incredible floods and they said some of their roses were completely submerged with water for a couple of weeks mm. and only a few died and he said the rest were the best that they've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really interesting because mm. I had no idea that, you know, roses could be completely inundated mm. like that. Mm. So usually they're obviously like mm. very well-drained conditions. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, they need to drain off. Yeah. Um, because then what, where you've got that constant moisture... Um, that allows the fungus to attack. Mm. And um, that fungus usually starts around where the, where the stock has been grafted on. And um, we see roses in the nursery now that build up a natural resistance in, in the actual stems. You can see it where they've actually built up resistance to that fungus. Yeah. And there's, a, there's a, I believe, a criti- critical time when that drainage is, 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 is constant and the time for the spores of any fungus to get in, which which we know as dieback. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Yeah. Evan, I think you might have had a message, did you, from the uh, outside look, line? Look, I did. Um, the, the message is, uh, do you know what they use on mulch to make it black? Um, it doesn't fade. It doesn't fade and it looks unhealthy. And it's all over Hawthorne. Um, I really don't know what they use. Black, to, red, green. Yeah, to, to colour mulch, and uh, I, I find it a bit off <laughs> and unnecessary. Um, I don't know why they do it. I don't know why you would buy it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's a, it's an unnecessary, it's a marketing thing, really. It is a really. good point. I wonder what they do dye it with. I don't know. I don't know. But it, it, the black one is um, pretty common, isn't it? To see that around, and the and the red and the one red, to make yeah. it look like uh, red gum, that's what they they're doing. Yes. They make it look like red gum, but of course, red gum fades off and goes grey. Anyway. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, you see it a lot in um, display homes and these sorts of things, just mm. to make them look, I guess, what people perceive as pretty. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I would avoid it personally. I, I don't see the point. Um, the best mulch really is the stuff you can get off arborists. Is you know bush mulch that sort of thing that's got lots of leaf litter in it as well as uh, woody material because you actually get it breaking down and and it's amazing if you use a lot of that sort of mulch and you put it all over your garden beds and then if you want to plant seedlings or so on you rake it back. And you've got all that beautiful material that, that is underneath. So yep. you just rake back the more woody stuff, plant in, in, in there where the fine material uh, gathers at the bottom. Yep. It's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it just takes time, that's yep. all. Yeah, and mm. I mean, there's so many different mulches that you can buy, aren't they? Mm. You know, but that, yeah, that, um, that um, arborist mulch is yeah, pretty special, especially if you leave it in a pile mm. for a while and then um, chuck it on in a few months. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And you can put it on really thick. As well, I, I don't ever really worry about that either. As long as you don't put it up against the trunk of trees, yeah. um, you can put it on really thick, and it just slowly, slowly breaks down and uh, just turns into the most beautiful soil underneath. And do you have a philosophy that you feed before you put it down, just to prevent that nitrogen drawdown? No, I don't. Which I always think should be called nitrogen draw up. 
(laughs) (laughs) Because it's actually coming out of the ground to feed the bacteria. Yeah, um, I don't um, because I think you're putting a fair bit in there anyway if you're putting arborist mulch because there's a lot of leaf material in there. Yeah, There's a lot of green material anyway. So you're probably doing that. But um, it doesn't hurt to throw um, something like blood and bone down. And I know uh, quite a few years ago we were looking after a garden where we, we didn't know... But when we started looking after it, we couldn't work out why we could not grow in this particular garden bed. And then we started doing a bit of digging, and it had just had lots and lots of pine bark put on it over a really long period of time. So the pine bark hadn't really broken down because it was a sh- sort of a show garden, so they're always topping it up to make it look fresh. Um, so it was about a foot and a half deep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we set about just putting uh, blood and bone on it, and we put we put kilograms and kilograms of blood and bone on it, like extraordinary amounts. And it took about a year and a half, and then that garden, now it just grows magnificently. Mm. But we had to introduce that nitrogen in huge quantities. Yeah. And, uh, and it worked. It worked eventually, but it just took a very, took very time, long time. Yeah. But that, that's the thing with those woody barks and things like that. If you just keep layering them up, you do end up with this sort of ungrowable, Space and mm. also it can become quite hydrophobic as well, which mm. is the other the other thing that happens in those sorts of beds. Yeah, it keeps the water in, but also stops the water getting in. Sometimes. Yeah, it does. that's right. It does. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, mulches, yeah, it's a whole yeah. science of its of its own. But I do like mulches that have green material in them. Yeah, actually, yep. one thing I learned just talking about um, mulches on the um, at the Kangaroo Paw Symposium was, you know, there was a few people really. Um, talking about the the virtues of using um, inorganic mulch for kangaroo mm. paws, you know, because they are they can be quite susceptible to to fungal issues, and you could really see the difference. Like walking around the garden, the the kangaroo paws that had um, organic mulch underneath them were really suffering, whereas those that just had the stones underneath them, they mm. were healthy as anything. So wow, I think that's go. yeah. I've recently put some kangaroo paws in, and I'm not mulching around them. How would that be for roses? Would that have an effect on roses, putting roses into inorganic mulches for that same reason, mm. for the fungal attack? Well, you're back to, yeah, you're back to fungal attack. Mm. And, and um, uh, the whole world of soil microbes and microbes in, in mulches, it's an ever-moving process, an ever-moving target. It's absolutely fascinating to, to know what happens. Mm. And, and and to understand what um, what actually happens with the microbes, and there's a whole world of different microbes under a rose as what develops under a well, as we know, natives and eucalypts, mm. and mm. and a rose will create its own world anyway, and that's why we say to people, hey, when you shift the rose or take a rose out, put some you know newer soil or fresh fresh soil in. Yeah, mm. and I mean when mm. you think of so many of our. Um, native plants that we really love are from WA, you know, and, mm. um, you know, the eremophilas and um, various ones, you know, from the desert regions. Yes. And if you go out and see them in the desert, you know, they're pretty much got stones around them, you mm. know, no That's woody right. mulch or mm. anything at all. Yep. And mm. if we, you know, try and um, copy those conditions, and I think we're much more likely to have success. Mm. Yeah, so mm. the beauty of that, of course, is the water just runs in between the, the stones. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And then it gets trapped in there under the mm. shade. Yep. yep. Um, I know I saw a garden near Horsham where they used scoria, small, very fine scoria, sort of five mil or five to seven mil scoria, all over all the garden beds. And, uh, you know, he 
thought it was terrific because it, it drained the water off the surface very quickly, held a little bit underneath, but it was very aerated for the roots to grow mm. in that sort of mm. aerated material. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So we're back to white pebbles on garden beds. <laughs> is, that, is that what we're not going white, for? Not white. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I'm thinking oh, even, you know. Um, disappointing. Yeah, sand, yeah, granitic sand even, you know, yeah. just yeah. sprinkle yeah. that around. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. might, might avoid the white pebbles up against the mud brick house. Yes, I think so too. <laughs> Graham, you've also had a couple of uh, queries. Yes, I've got a query from a listener here who says, do you prune Lorraine, how do you prune, or when do you prune Lorraine Lee? Well, Lorraine Lee is a very special rose in the rose world and Lorraine Lee is better pruned after it's first flowered in spring. So don't f- f- uh, prune it in springtime. Let it have its flush of flowers in spring and then you prune it. Ro- Lorraine Lee was one of the first roses that was ever developed by Alistair Clark and his aim was to get roses to flower for 12 months of the year and he did it with Lorraine Lee. Um, and so, but the, but the real difference is pruning after its first flush of flowers in the spring and that brings on the new growth and that's what you'll get all your good flowers on and we have an absolute exception to that because um, the only rose that flowers on the new wood and the old wood of course is iceberg and that's why it's so very prolific with with flowers Mm. and of course very popular the Mm. most popular rose in the world okay so Mm. yes Lorraine Lee after the flush in spring yep the other question I have here was regarding the uh, climbing rose that I just talked about. And um, this is the apricot rose that I described, and it's called Amber Glow, for that listener who wanted to know what the rose was, the climber, Amber Glow. Excellent. Okay, uh, AB, we've just got time to talk about uh, one of your plants. Oh, well, I have also been um, – I have grown chilies before. I've brought in a chili. Actually, I've brought in a few chilies. Um, but um, I now where I'm working, they grow a huge variety of chilies, and the one that I've actually brought in is known as the ghost chili. Now I don't know if you guys know your chilies, but this is um, extreme on the um, the Scoville scale, it's which not for, me. Um, not no, for the faint-hearted. <laughs> but I tell you, there's a whole chili world out there. You oh, know, yes. we've got our well, say we like with we've got the Herb and Chili Festival coming up in March. So March. 18 and 19. If you are into herbs or chilies, come along. Um, that's in Wandon. Um, you can jump online and, and look up the details there. But um, And you can get these chilies there. But the, the people that are into their chilies, boy, oh, boy, are they into them. And there's so much um, sort of mythology almost around um, the hottest chili in the world, which is the Carolina Reaper. And, um, I mean, this one, Carolina Reaper, I'll, I'll just put a bit of context around it. The, um, the pure capsaicin, which is the um, hot ingredient that's in chilli, um, that was measured at 16 million Scoville heat units. So the Carolina Reaper is 2.2 million Scoville units. So it doesn't sound hot, but it, that is the hottest chilli in the world. And that's one of the uh, capsicum um, chinense variety which are the super hot ones and this um um but jolokia um or the ghost chili it that's um yeah that what it's a mere a mere one million one, <laughs> one million plus but you know um there's an incredible world of chilies there are so many out there but they they range of course from you know the typical capsicums yes. which are you know not even no heat whatsoever in them um and then we've got the um the paprikas you know the hungarian um 
what a, what's it called? The Hungarian um, paprika, which is the Alma paprika, and that's the, the sweet Hungarian one. And they've got gorgeous sort of globular yellow fruit on them, um, and then they will ripen up to, to really red, and so mm. you can use them as a spice that way. But, um, yeah, there's there's such a fantastic range of um, of chilies. You know, there's the, the dark um, purple leaf varieties and then the, the dark purple fruit, and um, it's um, I'm going to be putting these in the garden, I think. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, if you want your chilies, come along to the Herb and Chili Festival, but uh, otherwise, yeah, just get out and, and give them a go. So the, the paprika, the Elma paprika you have here, has got little yellow lemony fruit on it yeah and that changes color it does yeah ah, yeah it'll it'll turn um deep red when it's actually right looks a real dude plant doesn't yeah it? so they're, they're pretty good plants so i'm wondering if it was you know maybe a bit late to put them in but you know some some of them are actually perennial so i think if i look after them and sort of nurture them through winter then uh, um, frost is the, the the enemy big killer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah like so you really need to protect them yeah, from frost yeah, to weather yeah. them over yeah i know that they say you know if you've growing them in melbourne grow them in a pot and chuck it near the house over winter but uh, yeah yeah so um yeah no i'm looking and then just just cut it back early spring as oh, soon as your yeah, last yeah, frosts yeah, are yeah, over yeah and they'll Take yeah. off. So you into your chilies, are you, Pam? I've got a perennial chili that yeah. I've kept going for quite a few years now. Yeah. yeah. And do the animals are they affected by chilies, like the heat in them? Do you know? Oh, I imagine they would be. You think they would be, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're thinking rabbits. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm You're always thinking, thinking rabbits. I'm going to be able to grow me. this. Oh, and you know what I've discovered in the last in the last couple of months that salvias have got this chemical in them that rabbits do not like because I was like. Nothing is touching. I've planted some salvias in pots outside my glass house, which is not protected, and nobody ate them. I was like, what is going on? And I, I checked it out, and, yeah, they've got this ingredient. So I am going to be planting lots of salvias right. so I can have flowers for my bees. Right. So, yeah, pretty exciting, I yep. have to say. Mm. Yep. Salvia is a whole other world out there, isn't oh, it? Oh, of course it is. Yeah. All, all these exotic plants I'm discovering. It's just yeah, quite thrilling, actually. Yeah. No, my, my, my chilli plant is in my uh, rabbit-proof vegetable garden. Oh, okay. So you don't so actually I know. don't know. Yeah. Well, our rabbit-proof vegetable garden actually has had rabbits in it recently. Yeah. So it's very frustrating, even though it's completely enclosed. I'm mm. having to enclose all the plants that are in there. It's very I will say none annoying. of the birds are interested in the chilies, though, if that's any indication. Mm. Uh, no, but they don't. The, I know birds, that's interesting, yeah, because birds aren't bothered by the ingredient. They, no. They don't have the same receptors. Well, they I, certainly don't seem to be attracted by the red fruit hanging off it in any way. Yeah, yeah. So I never see um, any yeah. peck holes or anything. Yeah, we yeah. don't have rabbits eating our um, our capsicums. Yeah. And, and I know there's been rabbits in there this year. Not even the leaves. Uh, no, oh, no. And, uh, and But they do eat the bush beans. They actually yeah. eat the beans, which is really annoying. They just eat the bottom half. Well, you eat the beans. <laughs> Every <day. laughs> So, And they don't eat, eat eggplants either. Eggplants seem to so be So solanaceae good. maybe. Maybe, maybe I can be planting my solanaceae outside maybe and no one's going to eat it. Because they don't eat tomatoes either, like tomato plants. Yeah, so I haven't had true. them eat tomato yeah. plants. Or potatoes. I've had potatoes yep. grow out. So, yep, okay. So the chilies can be planted outside mm. the uh, rabbit-free zone. Yeah, yep. I yep. think so. Awesome. I actually have a sort of a, uh, a white fly-free zone and uh, as well now because and don't plant anything in that area that likes that the white fly like because yep. – 
they've become just mm. unbearable. They have the white fly, moment. and yep. there's nothing you can do about no. it. Mm. Um, so it's just a case pray of, for cold weather. Yeah, that's pray all you for can cold do. weather. Put yeah, signs that's up. Right. Maybe they don't know signs? it's a white fly. <laughs> <from> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, but it's 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 an amazing thing, you know, tomatoes and and beans. You yep. know, they just just devastate beans, don't they? Oh, yes. Mm. Uh, so I think you've just got to keep replanting things. Mm. So that they, they seem to go for them when they're older more, I find, than when they're younger. But uh, I thought for a while it was because I had a pond in the area where I was growing a lot of vegetables. I thought, oh, maybe because they do yeah. sort of dive down to the water. I've, I've watched them do that. But no, it doesn't matter where they are. No, <laughs> no they'll it's, still invade. Yeah, they're just really yeah. problematic. Yeah, um, because you suck them in when you're going picking fruit. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Horrible. I know, Graham. You've got a, an interesting little book there. So cute, yes. um, Pam. It's a book by um, in the Dr. Seuss series. It's a small children's book, and I would imagine it. Well, it's it'll be suitable from four year olds to um, to eighty year olds, I reckon. But it's called I Can Name 50 Trees Today, and it's all about trees. And it has some amazing um, statements about um, how trees, for instance, uh, a fig will send its roots down. They compare it with the wild um, fig. You have to read it, fig. Graham. Yeah, the wild fig. And it'll send its roots down um, as far as an oil rig. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Mate, 400 feet deep down, it grows its roots. So the book is is really Dr. Seuss, and it appears to the the um, sense of um, sense amazement, of, yes, wonder, and, uh, and wonder. And uh, it's only a small book, and it, it's uh, I'd recommend it to anybody, especially to grandparents who want to uh, read to children. And um, so it's called I Can Name Fifty Trees Today, and it's all about trees, and it's out of the Cat in the Hat um, series. So um, a good book. Great, Great idea too. Mm. Yeah, to to engage the kiddies with something mm. like that. Absolutely. Mm. Yep. Would you believe we've run out of time for yet another week? Um, a big thank you to the panel and also to uh, Jenny and Virginia who've been handling all the phone calls this morning. Um, we will, of course, uh, be back again uh, next Sunday at seven thirty. Coming up next is alternative news, but until next week. Bye for now.